Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello there. Welcome to today's session of Selling the Couch. I hope you're doing well and having a fantastic day. So today's session is a topic that I know a lot of therapists are thinking about, which is diversifying our income beyond just clinical work. But I know there's a lot of nuances to that. So today we're going to actually be specifically talking about rental real estate and more specifically within that Airbnbs and how to think about Airbnb, getting a rental, getting an Airbnb property. My guest today is Armando Salavanti III, but Armando also just goes by Mondo. Armando is a certified financial planner. Mondo and I connected on LinkedIn, I would say. So I started posting on LinkedIn, I would say November of 2022. And Mondo and I just connected probably within a month or two. And uh, we've had several conversations since then. And he's become a friend. And one of the things that I most admire about him is both the combo of his work ethic as well as just the wisdom. Armando was a, a former football player in college and has learned sort of just multiple things when it comes to just discipline and all of these different things. And today we're going to be covering just a number of different things. So the first thing is Mondo and his partner had a previous house deal for a single home that actually fell through and they ended up getting a triplex as a result on their second offer. And we're going to be talking. And so with the triplex, they actually live in one of the units and they rent out the other two units as Airbnbs. So we're going to be talking about the pros and cons of doing that as long-term rental for each of those units versus an Airbnb. We're also going to be talking about kind of the, the practical few things. So how do you maintain boundaries with with folks? So for example, let's say you're stepping out and about to go to dinner and a tenant stops you and it's like, hey, I need this done. You know, how do you sort of navigate that, especially if you live in the unit? And we're going to really talk about a lot of the really practical stuff, some of the mistakes that they made along the way when it came to getting this triplex, some of the things that they didn't anticipate, as well as some of the most rewarding stuff of owning an Airbnb. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation, especially if you have been thinking about rental real estate and more specifically in Airbnb. So here's my conversation with Mondo Salavanti III. Hey Mondo, welcome to Selling the Couch. 
Hey, Mel. Appreciate you having me, man. Really excited for today. Before we even jump into our conversation, out of all things, LinkedIn, right, is the thing that has connected us. And uh, brother, I'm just incredibly grateful for you. I'm incredibly grateful for your heart, your spirit. I remember, I feel like in many ways, I'm still so new to LinkedIn, but you were so gracious to like, to connect with me. We actually chatted in person. You've sought some advice as you think about course building, which I'm just incredibly grateful for. And I've, I have just so admired you as a person and uh, your resolve. And this topic we're talking about even today, I know a lot of therapists want are thinking about real estate or thinking about income diversification, but you're living it out. And I'm incredibly grateful that we get to have this conversation. Thank you, man. And I appreciate the kind words a ton. And it is it is funny how we I remember we had a conversation that had to be six months ago plus, and then it led to I see what you're doing in your world with with course creation and a lot of things with your businesses and reaching out to you for advice. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you having me on today, but pivoting a little bit to your last point about the real estate, I'm not a therapist and my niche isn't even therapist of who I work with. But I think one thing I can relate to therapists in private practice, being business owners, right? I'm a business owner. And one of the things I wanted to do was diversify my income from me. And I imagine a lot of private practice therapists want to do that as well. Real estate was the the natural pivot for me to do that. So I'm excited to share some of what I've learned today. That's awesome. Why was real estate the natural pivot for you? It came easy because I was looking for my first home. And it's funny, we actually had a home under contract, single family home, starter home, and it did fall through. And we were we were very upset, me and my fiance and Mattia, because we thought this was our start, right? We thought, okay, we're going to move in together. We have our home, like this is it. And, and it's what we want. And it's probably like right to our budget, but it fell through because the inspection went bad and, and we're better off not buying it because you obviously don't want to buy a home with a bad inspection and then you're pouring a lot of money into it. But put us back on our search. And my realtor, who's also my best friend, he, he sends us a house and it's a multi-unit. It's a three-unit home. And I expected my fiance to have no interest in lo- even looking at it, never mind buying it. So we look at it. It was great. And we offer. Actually, mm-hmm. We get the house over three other people. And now we're, we own a three-unit home. There's also a garage at the home. So now we're generating rental income and I looked at it as a perfect situation in two ways. One, to diversify that income, as I said, and it was always in the back of my mind. But two, we were satisfying that goal of like finally moving in together. So why real estate was the natural choice, it was just easiest because it's it's the lowest barrier to entry in terms of creating another source of income because you can buy a building that you live in and rent out. Yeah. I mean, I remember, so we bought our home in 2014 and I remember, and we ended up on a, like we live in a twin home. So it's like, I mean, a single home, but kind of same wall, right? I yeah. just have to explain what twin homes are to f- folks that are not in the Northeast because it's always like, is that a duplex? <laughs> no, that right. so, so I remember we were thinking about just getting like a proper duplex, but we settled on this for just a, a range of different reasons. But what I mean, it's so smart because I remember us thinking about this, like that's the ideal scenario, right? You live in one of the units, you rent out the other, right? And ideally those folks that you're renting from, they're helping to pay the mortgage down on on this unit, right? 
what made you consider a triplex versus a duplex? Because like a duplex, like psychologically just seems like, okay, managing one person, right? Like versus two. So walk us through that thought process. It's interesting. I always was looking at duplexes when I, when I initially had this thought with my realtor. And as I mentioned, it sort of went to the back burner, but he sent this to us. Apparently it was a duplex. The prior owner who did the same thing, they lived on the first floor, rented the second floor. They actually added a third unit on the back. So if you look at our house, it's funny. The third unit, you can see that it was like, placed there. Now, if I didn't say that to you, you would never notice it. But like that it was added, you look and it's like, oh yeah, that definitely was added onto the house. So (laughs) it it actually was a duplex that they made a triplex. The third unit is an efficiency. It's got to be 400 square feet, maybe 500 at most, but it's very nice. It's modern. And we actually use it as an Airbnb because with a hospital near us, we get a lot of traveling nurses. So with that, they see it as like, hey, we could stay here. This is better than a hotel room. I don't really feel like I'm cooped up and they like it. That's amazing. I never, oh my gosh, like even you just saying that with the traveling nurses, like, because we have two big hospitals nearby and I never thought about traveling nurses as an opportunity. So it's essentially an an efficiency. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask like a lot of dumb questions today, but an efficiency is almost like a studio, like a smaller space, I guess, no walls except for the bathroom kind of thing, or how does that work? So, so there is, basically I'll paint the picture and this is probably the best way I can answer the question. You walk in, it's a small living space. So like a small couch, there's a TV, we have like a desk that they could work at if they need to. And then there's like a kitchenette in the same room. So counter space, cabinets, you have a stove, you have a fridge, and then we have a washer dryer stacked on top in there, which that brings a lot of people because they can wash their clothes there. So it's obviously appealing as opposed to a hotel. Then we have like a, it's a pretty steep staircase, but it's almost like a loft and you go up the steps, bedroom, there's a bathroom next to the bedroom. And it's like, I call it an efficiency because it's truly like everything you need in as small a space as you could probably make it. Yeah, that's really cool. How did you guys make the decision to live in one of the units versus renting out all three? I mean, I know like part of it's like practical, right? But I mean, I would imagine like living in a unit where you also have tenants that can bring some complications there potentially. It does for sure. And it wasn't an easy decision. I was very open to it because I've seen, I mean, take a step back one second. As a financial planner, I see my clients and the wealthiest clients that I work with have one thing in common. They invest in real estate. Mm -hmm. So I was in a position where I'm like, okay, I can buy my first home and then maybe get my next property or my first rental property a year or two later. Or instead of going that route, I can do this where we buy a home, we rent out the other units, we can buy our first like starter home or even a a bigger home than a starter home for us. And when we move out of this existing one, we keep it. If it's going well, the rents are paying for that mortgage anyways. And now we're adding a rent when we move out and we just gave up two years. So I always look at things, Mel sacrifice in the short term and the long term is going to end up much better. And I think that 
that mindset is so counter, I feel like mainstream society, right? Like everything is about media gratification. What can I accomplish today? And you're absolutely right. Like I know we have talked about this, which is just generally in the world of entrepreneurship, right? The people that think in long runways seem to have the most success because they're not in a hurry to get there. They know they're going to get there, but they, I think, also enjoy the process. They learn a lot. And when they are ready to make those next strategic decisions, it's from a place of experience versus like impulsivity. No. Right. Long-term games have the highest chance of success. Yeah. It's that Um, simple. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's really smart, right? Like you have presumably two units in an Airbnb kind of working, right? Related to that, how different is it managing a rental unit versus an Airbnb? I would not be able to tell you directly because I haven't actually managed a, a traditional rental, but I th- I have an idea based on clients that I work with. And I can tell you what an Airbnb unit is like to manage. So for hours, we have a property management group. We have cleaning people. We have a handyman. We have other resources that they use to do various things. I'm usually the first person to respond to a tenant if they need something done, just because I'm honestly just on top of things with responding to people. But if it's something and it's like, hey, I can't handle this, I push it off to our property management group and they they will take care of everything. Now, that's really helpful for me because like right now I'm I'm not in my area so if I need something done I can push it off to them they take care of it I don't have to worry I pay them on a per project basis so every time someone's in and out of the Airbnb we clean it and we change the sheets and the bedding and all of that stuff they do that I pay them for it there's a fee for that the difference of doing Airbnb and doing this type of style compared to traditional property management or traditional rentals on that side, they'll typically charge a percentage of rents. So like say $2,000 a month, someone's paying in rent, traditional property management will say, okay, well, we're going to take 200 bucks a month. On my side, every time the Airbnb flips, they'll take a fee. So for one of the units, I think it's 110. For another, the other one, it's 120, just because the one is bigger than the other. But that fee is to clean the unit, replace the stuff, pay them, and that actually does get charged to the Airbnb tenant. So I'm not technically paying for that. The only thing I really end up paying them is projects outside of flipping the Airbnb, which they do come up because stuff happens, as you could imagine. Hey there. I hope that you're enjoying today's podcast session. So I've you know jumped back into private practice and I decided to go the private pay route. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is how do I tap into outer network benefits for clients that might want to use it? Now, the common sort of perspective or tip that a lot of folks say is just to provide a super bill for clients. But the reality is, I feel like most clients aren't going to go take a super bill and then call the insurance company and then deal with that whole mess of trying to communicate with the insurance companies and waiting on reimbursement and all of that kind of stuff, right? And then at some point, especially if they're keenly aware of budget and stuff like that, they're like, oh my gosh, I may not be able to afford working with this therapist and all of those kind of things, right? This is where Thryzer comes in. And the really cool thing with Thryzer is that they will actually 
float the clients for the sessions. So basically, when you sign up for Thryzer, you can automatically submit out-of-network claims for your clients. It's simply done through an app. It literally takes seconds, and Thryzer takes care of all of the insurance stress. So we don't have to deal with it as clinicians. Our clients don't have to deal with it. And clients just pay what they owe for for actual sessions, i.e. like the difference between your rate and the reimbursement rate in order to skip the long insurance wait. All they have to do is pay the standard 3% credit card fee. There is no monthly contracts or fees or anything like that. If you would like to try out Thryzer, you can go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, enter the promo code STC so that your first $2,500 in fees are waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and Thryzer is spelled T-H-R-I-Z-E-R, and enter the promo code S-T-C. Yeah, with realist, like if something needs to get, if something's broken, you can't handle it on your own or you're away right? Something like that you're saying. Totally. It's so, it's so interesting. These like, I mean, I'm somewhat aware of like property management, like again, at a basic level, but it's interesting how they're thinking about it when it's an Airbnb versus a long-term rental. So it's another kind of practical question. How do you maintain mm-hmm. like boundaries with tenants? Like for example, like they want to tell you about a leak while you guys are about to go out to dinner. It's a good question. And things have happened for sure. Fortunately, most of the tenants we've had have been very good and respected that because even though I don't advertise that I live there, they find out pretty quickly when they've seen my picture on Airbnb and they see me walking in and out of my apartment every couple of days and they put two and two together. So I will usually just tell people, hey, here's Sonny's number. Sonny is the property manager. I'll say, here's Sonny's number reach out to her if you need something, she'll take care of it or she'll have Robert come down. Robert's our handyman. And I'll usually just push them from the jump whenever there's an issue, reach out to Sunny, she'll take care of it or Robert will. Just yeah. just about being open and communicative. I think that's really the key to that. Yeah. And I would think also like once either you've de- developed a script in your mind or you've done it enough, right? It comes naturally to you to say like, refer to Sonny or Robert. No. So I, I think what I'm hearing is there's a way to both acknowledge what they need help with, but also what's the word triage, right? But in a way that's that's smart and not like, okay, wait, uh, I'm going to hold my di- hold our dinner reservation and, and help you and figure this out kind of thing, you know? Is that, and I that found that for you or, or you feel like it's- I was, I was just going to add, I would say it's not even difficult for me personally, because I look at it like, they reach out to me, they being the tenant, yeah. and I'm instantly like, hey, I'm I'm calling Sonny now, or here's Sonny's number, reach out to her. And then this way, they feel that I'm responsive and taking care of their needs instantly, and Sonny's in the background, and she's going to get to it when she can get to it, but I don't have to blow up my day in order to help the tenants. Yeah. And when these tenants are communicating with you, are they just, what are they sending a text? They call, like, is there a software you guys, like, how are, how is that happening? If the tenant is booked through Airbnb, it's, it's ideally messaged through Airbnb. Now they do get my phone number. So sometimes they call me, but in terms of how they reach out to me, I'll, I'll always tell them do it through Airbnb. And for anyone listening, if you do get into Airbnb rentals and someone is staying in your house or apartment, 
through Airbnb, always have that message through Airbnb because if something goes wrong, I don't even know what that would be. I'm just, for example's sake, you'll want to have that track record. And if there's not something in Airbnb about the communication, Airbnb actually won't help you. And the reason that's important, they actually do ensure your your place when you're booking through them. Got it. Yeah. And it's like you want to leave the paper trail, but you want to leave it through Airbnb. Yes. Yeah. It's so interesting. I could see myself like really nerdy out on this stuff. So because it's like two different skill sets, right? Like learning the rental side of it and renting and learning the Airbnb side of it. Like, yeah. how are you like walking that line? Do you like? I think they're very different. Yeah. But the one thing that's been helpful, our property management group, so Sonny that basically leads it, she manages many Airbnbs throughout the area. And almost all of them are in our area. There's not really a huge tourist, tourist, I guess, industry, you could say. But what people do come for, there's lakes and there's also the hospitals where people work. So she manages a ton of them. So she knows like, what should the listing look like? How should it be priced? Just little details like that, that add up to make it a more successful experience through Airbnb. Having her to lean on to know those things already from experience has been really helpful. How did you find your property manager? So it's funny. She actually is my uncle's ex-wife, long story short, but my cousins, obviously we're still very close with them. And Earlier this year, I was at my cousin's birthday party and she was telling me about her business because she knew I was getting this property and I was planning on doing long-term rentals. And she said to me, look, I'm telling you, I manage these Airbnbs. They're making much more money than long-term rentals are. I think you should check it out. And I just figured I'll give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, I go back to the traditional route of doing things, but Hey, what, what could it hurt? And that's how. So it was a prior relationship yeah. that I actually knew her from. But you know what? Like, I feel like those are the best sort of referrals, right? Because you're vetting the person. Like, I mean, I I, I know, like, I had mentioned this when I post or replied to your post this morning on LinkedIn. Like, I found my VA through, like, word of mouth, right? Through a friend that had used my VA before, but just couldn't because of, like, stop working with them because, like, they needed somebody physically in the area. And... Yeah, I mean, those are like the best type of referrals. So let me just make sure I understand. So the efficiency is an Airbnb. The other one is also an Airbnb or a long-term rental? It's an Airbnb, the other unit as well. Yeah. It's it's a two it's a two bedroom, one bath, and there's a living room and a full kitchen in that as well. It's a little bit bigger. Okay. And then the generally the folks that are living in it tend to be sort of healthcare associated just because of the hospital or is it, does it vary? Majority of them have been healthcare workers. We also have gotten some construction workers too. Okay. Like doing like, I guess, coming in to do construction projects or something. Yeah. There'll be a construction job in the area. And I guess something that I didn't really realize a lot of construction workers travel for work. I I never knew that personally, but they do. And yeah, they do. So we have two guys in there now that are construction workers and they're they've been here for a month. They're going to be here for another month and they're from out of the area. Got it. And then when so generally, I guess they're giving you kind of a heads up up front about how long they'll be there, right? How long in advance do you start thinking about the next 
sort of person that's going to be in there. So you don't have any like a significant gap. So the interesting thing with Airbnb, they book and they're they're in. So whenever they book, that's when they're in for. Now these guys, they originally booked for a month and they wanted to extend their stay because they're working here longer. They didn't expect to be, but they are. So they extended it and they just do that through, through the app. The nice thing is you can set boundaries to say, nobody can book five days in advance or however long in advance. I personally only do one day in advance because we have our property management group. If someone's coming in and we need something ready, they're going to get it ready. And and I know they will. They've done it countless times. So that's the procedure that we've taken. It's really interesting. How much like ballpark wise, Sunny was saying like it's significantly more than just traditional rentals. Like what are we talking like 20%? Yeah. So I'm I'm open to talk numbers. I I'll, I could tell you the rents on these two units prior to me owning the property. So the past owner, because this was disclosed when I was purchasing the property. Obviously, the smaller unit they were getting twelve fifty a month, and then the upstairs unit they were getting fifteen hundred a month. So twenty seven fifty a month between the two. In the five months I've owned the property, Mel, we've averaged thirty nine fifty a month before my fees to my property management group. So after those fees, they probably come out to about four hundred a month on average. I would say to my property management group. So we're averaging about thirty five fifty a month, whereas they were twenty seven fifty a month for. So I mean, it's that's about thirty percent more, and it's sizable. I mean, that is not a small chunk of change like yeah it's i don't know man this this really has me thinking i mean right now we're in a twin but we would love to kind of move to our like a single forever but we are in like a very hot area and we have actively thought about do we just rent this out because again there's hospitals here there's you know a bunch of stuff the school's school here is good right like all that stuff so yeah what was the mistake you made in purchasing the triplex or something that you just maybe didn't anticipate? It's a good question. I would say not realizing what the expenses actually would be. So for example, we purchased the house knowing that we needed a new roof within the next few years. Mm-hmm. We get in the house and we needed the roof instantly, pretty much. So let's just start there. So that's the first thing. Second, there there are some other things like we have we've had to get some plumbing work done. We're actually in the middle of it now, but it's an old property. The rents are great, and we got it for a pretty good price. So sometimes things look a little too good to be true. It's if it, it did feel that way with this property, we won the bidding war over three other people, and hey, we we had to put some money into it. The fortunate part, and the one piece of advice I, I could give to anyone listening to this. Whenever you buy a property, whether it's your primary residence or a rental, make sure that you have an emergency fund set up because things will happen. And whether it's not something as big as a roof or new plumbing, things will happen. You're going to need to dish out some money. I mean, we've had to put about 30 grand plus into this since we've owned it. Now, it's nice because we have rents. We've gotten about 16, 17 grand since we've owned it. So that cushions the blow, but things happen. And you're going to need to fix things. And that emergency fund is critical. How much of an emergency fund would you recommend? Like, how, how are you even thinking about it? A couple different ways I think about it. So as a financial planner, I look at households and say, okay, in general, if you have six months of expenses and you're a one income household, that's good. If you're a two income household, three months of expenses is typically good. 
other things that factor into this though. Maybe those numbers don't make you feel good. You need to feel good about the cash you have. So whatever's comfortable, you may need to go up to four, five, six, maybe seven, eight, nine months, or maybe even a year for some people. If you have a property that you're anticipating a lot of changes to and you want a buffer in terms of, of savings because you're not sure what the income is going to be, maybe you hold one year of expenses. So there's a lot of factors that come into play. It's really just about realizing what your expenses are, what your income situation is, and, and how much you're going to need. Again, this is a dumb question. Is the emergency fund kind of like you just have one emergency fund for both your personal expenses as well as the rental? As, as well as unit or is it like separate like you guys have an emergency fund for your personal stuff and then also for stuff that could come up with the rental it depends what works for you so personally we just have one fund yeah i'm fine with having that and knowing all of our expenses this is covering our emergency fund yeah. some people they don't like that they like to bucket things out i have a lot of clients where they'll have four or five accounts. One is their personal emergency fund. One is for real estate. One is their vacation fund that that's where their their vacation money comes from. So bucketing things out could be really helpful psychologically to actually accomplish the goal of getting them funded. Yeah. I'm in that latter category. (laughs) I need an emergency fund for an emergency fund. So, (laughs) What's been the hardest part of owning the unit? Hardest part has been not letting it become a full-time job and understanding that I have a property management group and I need to let them do their job and sacrifice paying them money, more money sometimes than I would need to, as opposed to getting my hands into it. Now, this is going to be against the grain of a lot of real estate investors, what I'm about to say. Typically, people say when you get into real estate, you'll want to be a handy person, know how to fix things, know how to do things, all of that, because you're going to save a lot of money. I get that totally. At the same time, my main my main income is my financial planning business. I do not want real estate to take anything away from that because if it is, then it's being counterproductive. Because sure, I just said I'm netting 3500 after my property management, then I have a mortgage, whatever. And now I have this profit. Well, if that profit is at the expense of my main business, that's hurting me. So being able to delegate to the property management group and sticking to that has been difficult, but I'm getting better with it and trying to move towards that more and more and more so I can focus on what's most important and keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. You know what's so interesting about like entrepreneurship or real estate, all of these things, like it's like there's the practical elements of what we're talking about. But then I think the bigger stuff is like the psychological stuff, right? Like our like we're both like helpers and we both want to jump in and just fix stuff right and and resisting that. And like in your example, saying, Yeah, okay, I have this option here that I just need to let go of and not try to like and, and like you said, keep the main thing, the main thing. There's a saying I love now. Don't step over dollars to pick up pennies. <laughs> That's a good, that is a good saying. And I think like, I mean, if you're a therapist hearing this, and I think this, I feel like in many ways has, <clears throat> it's a message we have probably heard in multiple ways and through multiple layers, right? That we have to work hard, that like the the joy is in the extreme labor, like everything's in. It is a lot of unlearning, I mean, of, of figuring it out. And I love that, that phrase. Let me flip it around. 
which is what's been the most rewarding part of it? Most rewarding part has been, and, and I'm starting to see this now because as I mentioned, we had a lot of repairs and a lot of money's just been dishing out, but now we're on the back end of that in terms of replenishing everything. And this is the monetary part of it and money isn't everything, but it obviously is a big reason you get into real estate. Seeing our accounts grow at a higher pace than I'm used to, just because you're adding an extra income source has been very rewarding for me because it's like you you take this sacrifice of living in a house with other people and you do it because you want to see that reward. And really the last two months or the first two months that I felt it feels really good. And it, it takes a lot of stress off because it's covering a lot of bills. So for me, mortgage, taxes, insurance, car, car insurance, and, and our utilities covers all of that. So you talk about those expenses. Those are people, some of their biggest expenses they have. For them to be gone, the, the focus and clarity I'm able to have in my main business, I, I'm convinced that it's allowed me to perform at a higher level than I otherwise would have. I think there's something to this, which is, I think like people talk about emergency funds and there's the practical aspect of it, but there's the psychological burden that's released, which I'm realizing is such the bigger thing because we, I think have talked a little bit about this, but like someone who struggles with anxiety, one of the things I realized is I need a bigger emergency fund because it just kind of keeps that at bay a lot more. Right. And yeah. And, and like, and I, I, I mean, I have to be like, just the way I'm wired, I realized I've tried the other way where it's like, I've tried the three to six month emergency fund, but I think I need to be closer to the nine to 12 month. You know, the last question I had for you is how do you decide when you're ready to invest in a second property? It's the same as any decision. You're never going to be ready. I'm, I'm convinced. I don't think you're ever ready to actually make a change and do something. Something inside you just has to say, Hey, I'm doing it. Like I'm going after this. And you have to be willing to make mistakes because you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to do exactly what you should. It's very timely. We're having this conversation today because the guy that did my roof, he's a longtime family friend of my father's, but now I have a relationship with him after he did the roof and whatnot. He's a big real estate investor. And he was starting to dish off his properties because he's retiring and gave me a call this morning. And he said, Hey man, I got six properties within 10, 15 minutes of your house. I'm looking to dish them off. When do you want to look at them? So we're going to go look at them. I'm hopefully going to be getting my second property soon. I hope one of them fits budget and we can make something work out, make a deal work. Totally related to this, but unrelated so far to our conversation. Networking to know people that have off-market deals is key because that'll help you get a property, whether it's your first or second. But also with that, why it's even more key you get into things like seller financing. So if he finances it to me, we get get a creative structure. We could have a whole podcast about that. So I'll gloss over it. We can dive deeper if you want to. But that's what I'm looking to to get my second property. And do I feel ready? Well, no, I just got this first one. But at the same time, I know, okay, I know a couple things. I have the financial means as long as I make sure I stay within that and we'll make it work. Yeah. And again, I seller finance is like, instead of going through like a, like a traditional mortgage, like you work with the person who's offloading the property and you. Yes. So just an example that's, that's real simple. I can, I can explain this. Say you have a property and you're going to sell it to me, 
but instead of getting a mortgage from the bank, you just want to make sure we get it under contract or maybe you like me so you do it that way. We can make an agreement where I'll pay you a loan payment for five years. And at the end of the five years, I give you a balloon payment to pay off the rest of it. And typically people will do that where at that point, they'll get a mortgage from a bank. Sometimes people do this if they can't qualify. Other times what people will do is say, okay, well, let's let's do this. I'll give you 50 grand or a hundred grand and they'll get that in the form of a mortgage. The seller will provide the capital for the rest of the property And then this way, you're really just paying the seller back on the side of that. And you're essentially getting a creative financed property. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's so interesting. Yeah. there's That's a whole other podcast conversation. (laughs) It really is. But I think, I don't know, it's reinforcing for me, especially as we record this, right? Like just the housing market and how insane it is, right? The value of these personal relationships to make these things happen. I feel like that's been helpful prior, but I feel like it's almost vital now. It's huge because you can avoid some of these high interest rates too if you get into seller financing and you have a good relationship and someone wants to help you out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mondo, I am incredibly grateful for you, brother, and uh, just grateful for the work you're doing in the world. Where can we learn more about you and uh, all the awesome stuff you're doing? Mel, thanks so much much for having me. Awesome time chatting today. And for anyone that wants to get in touch with me, wants to follow me, LinkedIn is the easiest place to do that. I'm most active there, post about personal finance. There's definitely some real estate content in there if you're interested in that. And I'd love to hear from some of you guys. Have a great rest of your day, brother. And I appreciate you. And uh, and we'll talk soon. All right, man. Thank you. Yeah. Hi there. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mondo. And especially if you've been thinking about Airbnb rentals, I hope that today uh, you've just learned a little bit and uh, and just gotten some more information from the real practical side of this. And just being completely honest, you know, one of the things that I have often struggled with when thinking about rental real estate is, again, we have some loved ones that own rental properties. I you know have some friends that own rental properties, and one of the most common themes is, you know, they, they seem to you know, have to do like emergency calls at sort of odd hours and I really value my sleep. <laughs> and so I, I've i just been trying to navigate that. And for me, like hearing Mondo talk about this, that there are different ways of doing this, both, you know, hiring a traditional property management company there, that there are even within property management companies, those that also do rental and Airbnbs as well. So it just gives me like just more information to think about and consider uh, if we do end up going down the rental real estate route uh, down the line. I will definitely be creating more episodes on that journey and uh, and what we're sort of learning and figuring out along the way. Again, be sure to connect with Mondo uh, over on LinkedIn. He posts just extremely helpful content when it comes to personal finance and also investing and real estate investing and uh, all of those different things. I appreciate you and uh, have a great rest of your day. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.
Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to today's session. Just wanted to also let you know that we have a free email newsletter that goes out every week. You can download it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash newsletter. Basically, uh, that newsletter contains some of the stuff that's happening behind the scenes with STC and also with my life and how I'm balancing and trying to balance uh, being both an entrepreneur as well as building a life around my family and my health as well. And it also contains the latest podcast episode and some of the stuff that I'm doing on LinkedIn, some of the strategies and things that are working for me. And then finally, a brand new section called On Mel's Mind, where I take a video or a book or a blog post or something like that that's inspiring me for that week, and I share how I'm implementing it both in my life and in my business. Again, you can download that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash newsletter. And if you are one of the 3,700 colleagues that have been a part of the email newsletter, I so appreciate you and uh, I'm grateful for your support. We genuinely try to make these helpful and uh, and just based on the data and based on the feedback we're getting, it seems like we're doing a really good job. So appreciate you and uh, I hope that you have a great day.